Artists Worldwide. Um, again, welcome everybody, Global Brothers Podcast, another exciting episode, so glad to have y'all, and today on the show we have um, two, like, you know, yeah, like, you know, dare I say visionary, um, it's really hard to step outside yourself with uh, people that you know so well and uh, came up with, but like, you know, I take my hat off to these brothers and, um, you know, give them, give them all the props because, like, they've stood the test of time, they was doing it back then, they're doing it now, this is definitely not a, not a, um, uh, you know, not a, like a fly-by-night kind of thing, uh, or as Brother Heath likes to say, um, overnight success after 20 years of trying kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like these brothers been doing it and are true lovers and passionate about music and hip-hop. So welcome to the show, Grouchy Greg and Market Tech. What's up? What's welcome, up? brothers. Welcome. I'm going to start with you, Greg. Um so like you know the world's most dangerous site when when like when you hear that today in 2020 the world's most dangerous site what does that mean to you it means that we are on the forefront of hip-hop of cutting-edge hip-hop of what is coming next and um you know uh you know it sums up the almost the mission statement you know we're not here to play it safe we're not here to stick to the status quo and that's kind of been our our mission for the last 20 years you know and uh you know now that we're in the type of situation that we're in uh socially and civically you know uh it has kind of underscored our business model and the type of journalism we try to do and uh you know why we've been relevant for the last 20 years you know we're not just a site that puts up uh you know the latest rap videos we do that too but you know we've always tried to maintain the consciousness of hip-hop so for the listeners um what grouchy greg is talking about is none other than allhiphop.com which predates predates came before just about every site in terms of music or social media you can think of so this predates facebook predates instagram twitter myspace world Star, or any digital version of your favorite magazine yeah. The vibe or whatever else. The iPhone, the <laughs> iPhone complex, the sort. Uh, keep going, keep going. <laughs> next, um, uh, you, you name it. We started in 1997, and a lot of these brands uh, didn't even have a clue as to what the internet was until about 2006, 2007. So we had a good 10 year start, head start on every brand, you know, every brand really in the entertainment space so is, is it safe to say that uh people you know pinched i wouldn't say stole your blueprint but pinched off of it and uh tried to emulate some of the parts very safe very safe yeah. to say you yeah. know uh, uh, you know there were other hip-hop sites when we started you know uh but we were the first ones to flip to a daily format for news uh for rumors, uh, you know, gossip, urban gossip. Those things have been on the radio, obviously, with people like Wendy Williams. But we were the, the, you know, the first ones online really pushing this concept of news, rumors, features, music, videos. I, those are mediums and concepts that I created myself <laughs> at my computer. 
you know, in 1996. And then we consciously made a decision to say, you know, we're going to cover this stuff every single day, not every week, which is what most people were doing at the time. So, yeah, the, the thing that I, I used to uh, enjoy, uh, I shouldn't say used to, but, I, you know, from the start, I, I enjoyed is it was um, timely information. You know, it was like minute to minute, daily, up to date information that if someone said, did you hear about, you went straight to all hip hop to check this, to check if it was facts. And Greg, and Greg, and Greg, before 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 you reply to that, I want to add in that um, Essence Magazine called you guys uh, the CNN of hip hop. And when you think about yeah. CNN now, it's all about breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. So I remember, I remember you had the sidekick. Like you were the first person I ever seen with the sidekick. You know, what I mean, the hood just like roll up and like I was like, what, like what is that? Yo, 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 tech, what's your brother got right now? And it's oh, like, the T-Mobile. Yeah, T-Mobile. you got a T-Mobile sidekick joint. So let me say this, you know, now that everybody works from home, this is all new, but you know, all hip hop from the day we started, it really truly was a mobile first company. I mean, I've been updating the website from a phone or a mobile device since 1997. You know, it could have been dating it through text messaging to the site and sending man to the site to execute certain actions. Uh, all this stuff is real simple right now. Uh, I mean, in terms of the ideas of it, uh, in 97, it was like revolutionary. So by 99, 2000, when the phones started to evolve a little bit, you know, I started working on, on the phones. And then, yeah, T-Mobile was like the first phone that had a QWERTY keypad pad attached to it. Up until then, all the devices were, I mean, I used to walk around with four different devices in my pocket. I would have my cell phone. I would have my Motorola two-way pager. And then AOL had a, a, a device they had on their own through BlackBerry to take your instant messages and your email in your pocket with you. So I had all three of those. And, you know, I was so happy when T-Mobile finally, you know, bought uh, the company that made the sidekicks and or Microsoft actually bought them. And then they, they got in bed with T-Mobile. From there, it was a wrap. I was like, oh, a QWERTY keyboard and I can type now and you know, have a browser to actually interface with our websites back end. Yeah, that was like 2002, 2003. Easy. Man, this is, this is, this is, this is, uh, this is history, man. So, uh, like when you, like when you think about alphanumeric and, um, even our ringtones, um, like, you know, you guys did a lot of ringtones back in the day as well. Like, you know, how did that, how did that progress the brand? Well, all of the, uh, what we created were, were um, digital news alerts. So one of the things I realized in, say, 99, when I was fooling around my smart, well, my phone at the time, it was called OmniPoint. OmniPoint eventually was bought by T-Mobile and became T-Mobile. But before T-Mobile was T-Mobile, they were a local company called Omni. They had a digital phone. So I figured out that I could send messages to this phone from my email address. I went back to my computer. I started sending test messages to my phone. And then I realized, you know what? I can aggregate everybody's phone numbers, start delivering them these messages to their two-way pagers and their phones. I had some friends of mine in the music business empty out their contact. So I had all, you know, the DJ's numbers, all the executives' numbers. I mean, everybody you could want to, to you know, in hip-hop. And... uh we eventually, you know, figured out how to send messages out to everybody's devices every day at the same time. 
and it just it that that's what really exploded the brand you know people across the industry were looking forward to receiving this news every day and then that set off a snowball effect of people wanting to send us news and send us exclusives and do exclusive interviews and it also allowed me because i could reply to these messages that went out to say oh look nori replied or russell simmons replied or whoever leroy Cohen replied let me reply to them now and try to start developing a relationship wow and that's how you know our early relationship with russell and leor and all those guys started but it was crazy because you know marlon we had been trying to crack the music industry for 10 years prior to all hip-hop you right. know right. and you it was almost like, website before that right uh oblique recordings.com right and that 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 was based on my record label and that was like the precursor to all hip hop because I set that website up in like 1994. And from 94 to like 96, that was the website I used to learn the internet, figure out HTML and all these other things. So by the time all hip hop came around, like we were ready to rock. So yeah, uh, we had a whole history 10 years prior to all hip hop. And it was just amazing how fast we went from one side of the proverbial velvet rope to the other side where it's like damn i couldn't even get a meeting with people you know last year and now you know i'm in the hamptons with russell simmons and his gang that's that mike jones syndrome who mike jones now <laughs> <laughs> hey, i want i want to i want to ask tech a question uh about about like you know kind of like being there for the ride, looking at your older brother and like seeing what he was doing at the same time, being be, being a, being a sponge, you know what I mean? Because ever since I've known you, like you've been the type of dude that like takes in information and sees what they can do with it. So, uh, you know, Markitech, you 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 you've sat there and watched, you know, like Grouchy like do his thing and like you know creating this platform. Like, how did you feel as an up and coming hip hop artist at that time? Well, one thing I can say is, um, me and my brother, our music stories kind of integrate because. Um, you know, I used to watch him make music and all that stuff. And he's always been a, a, a technologically savvy guy. So he had music equipment that other people didn't have, didn't even know how to obtain. Me being a sponge, like you said, I mean, I got on there and within a certain amount of time got just as good as, you know, the older people who were showing me how to make music and beats. And he always, you know, Greg never... He always encouraged that. I mean, I remember when I was a little kid, he was like, I'm not taking you to the recording studio unless you maintain a certain grade point average. So we always took it super, super serious. So, um, you know, watching him do that, I knew it was going to succeed because the way Greg is, I mean, he used to always tell me when people would say, well, what are you going to fall back on if that doesn't work? And he said, well, I'm going to fall back on my ass. Then mm. I'm going to get back up. You know what I'm saying? So... It was no doubt in my mind that he's going to be successful in what he's doing because he's just one of them people that he's not going to do it if he doesn't feel all the way passionate about it. So, you know, we're similar in, in that way. Now, with me, I went more of the artist route. And what's funny about it is people thought that, you know, with my brother running all hip hop, that it would be super advantageous to me. Like, well, why doesn't your brother just put you on? But I tried to explain to people that would kill the credibility of my music, which is, you know, which is, uh, which, which stands alone by itself. Right. So when it comes to knowledge, um, you know, certain connections, different introductions, 
throwing events that I can go to, he definitely helped me in that regards, you know, but I was more, I'm just, I'm like a fan and an early adopter of all hip hop. I still go on the site to this day. If I, if, if I was to go on the site and see that a question mark was missing at the end of a sentence, I, I will stop what I'm doing. Call my bro, call the CEO and say, Hey man, there, there's a question mark missing in one of the sentences. He'll thank me, go in there and fix it himself. You see what I mean? So that kind of like our, that kind of is an analogy for like our relationship as like me as an artist and all hip hop, because we're brothers. So you, we, you know, another thing people say is, well, why don't you just go, you two should work together on stuff. We work better on our own things and advising each other. He'll call me and say, hey man, I'm, I'm thinking about starting this new app. What do you think about it? But it's not like we're doing business under the same, we're brothers, you know, I'd rather be brothers than work for my brother or have him working for me. You know what I mean? I said, wow. The yeah, dynamic that like I saw, like, you know, live, like myself from early on um, is exactly like what you're saying, Tech, you know, and like, um, yeah, sure, like a lot of us like on the outside would, you know, would wonder this or that kind of thing. But, um, but no, you're definitely right. You know, after, after seeing how your career uh, has continued to blossom and grow from strength to strength. Um, you know, I can attest, like for sure, like you stand, like you, know, like you know, you stand on your own. And I want to ask you a little bit about that. You start, you started your own website called youheard.com. Uh, can you sure. can you can you tell us a little bit about that and like you know what that's about? Yeah, well, actually, um, it's a funny story about that. So back in the day, it was a thing within our crew, especially with my brother and my other brother Nate. They were just buying domain names. I mean, they had the, for, the, for, the vision to say, soon these names won't be available. Try buying a website name like youheard.com now. That's just one thing, you know? So Greg had all these domain names, and we are doing music separately, and that just seemed like one where I was like, well, maybe I could do something with that. So he said, if you want to do something with that, and man, it's gone through so many different changes, but it's been around for maybe, I mean, it's probably been around for like 10 years now. No, longer than that. I, I bought that domain name in 2001. There you go. So look. And so, yeah, we've, we've been doing that. And, um, and then, of course, with that, underneath youheard.com, I got youheard records, you know, youheard films, my music publishing. So it's kind of like a whole media syndicate and youheard.com is the base, the home for it. Has anybody ever approached you guys about buying a domain? A domain or the domains? Uh, a domain. Yeah, I get approached from people trying to buy domains from me all the time. I got one right now, somebody's hot on me for, it's called Lovolution, L-O-V-E, uh, like revolution, but Lovolution, you know. And I have an idea for the brand, but I've been sitting on it for like 10 years and somebody's been trying to buy it. But that's one of many. I've got a bunch of domain names and then people are always trying to buy all hip hop. Oh, I'm sure. Have you ever had to uh, sue anybody or, or do a, uh, what is it called? A, uh, what is it called? Cease and, de cease and desist? Yeah, for for uh, all hip hop for trying to use it, <laughs> of course, of course, uh, many times. You know, um, you know. Now we're in an area era of social media where it's like 
you know, if you try to get everybody, you're going to be sending cease and desist letters all damn day. But we try to put a stop to it. But we, we definitely um, send out those cease and desist letters because, quite frankly, if you allow people to use your trademark and you don't defend it, uh, you can actually, uh, that's cause for you to actually have your trademark canceled by the uh, trademark office, by the United States Patent and Trademark Office. So you have to defend those things, you know. And um, if I can, if I can chime in, I had to sue NBC Universal for royalties. What? Yeah, I had to sue NBC. No, I, I say more. Say more about that. I did the theme song to a popular cartoon in Japan uh, called Danganronpa. It's a hit anime, and the song is called Never Say Never. So we you know I own my own publishing and um and everything like that, and I got hundreds of songs in my catalog that I own. So this song was registered the same way. And when we looked over the paperwork, there was, you know, somebody who was an intermediate, uh, like a go-between of the deal, put themselves on the publishing as a writer for the song and all this stuff. You know, just try to pull a fast one thinking, you know, we're just some guys from the United States who wouldn't notice. I mean, we immediately noticed. And it took years and years, you know, all kinds of stuff. I had to go to Japan several times and then it culminated you know with with us with me retaining the proper percentages of the songs i even got more than i would have gotten if they hadn't done that more a bigger percentage as well as jace mace and we were able to negotiate retroactively which which benefited us because they had already printed dvds already had cds on the shelf they're not going to go take a million dvds off the shelf so we were able to say well we want this much publishing and this much for our sync fee, which would have been what they would have given us up front. You know what I mean? So it worked out for us. It just took years and a bunch of headaches and a whole lot of time. But in the end, you know, it, it, justice was served. And I like that. So now, so, now, so now you can tell them, congratulations, they played themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. Well, everyone, I mean, there's pe some people's business strategy is to go as long as they can without paying for stuff. Yeah, it's, it's like part of their strategy. Okay, Tech. Um, so you've been in a number of groups from like the outfit back in the day, Fat Daddy has been, the 49ers. Um, how, do you, how do you rate the difference of like being in a collective as opposed to being solo? And like, what do all those experiences teach you? Well, with being solo, obviously there's no personalities to clash with, especially like when you're traveling. You know, you ever travel, like people don't think about that. Like sometimes when you travel, if you take a personal vacation, you're going to travel with people who are compatible to your plans. You guys all want to do the same thing. When you're traveling with a band, I mean, it's different. You know, you might be in a hotel room with this person and say, man, you know, they're, they're cool to play the guitar with, but man, they snore. I don't want to be in a hotel room with them. You know what I'm saying? So like, you got the different personalities of the band, which can get tricky. But creatively, being in a band and being in a group is kind of easier because you could you have to contribute less. You know, so I could walk in and Fat Daddy Hasbin already has a groove going, and I could just say, "Well, why don't we do a little bit of this? Do this? I'll say this." You know, whereas when you're making a solo album, you're just starting with a blank piece of paper musically and you know this way and that's why like a, a lot of solo artists take a lot of time in between their albums you know i mean we're still waiting for the second lauren hill album <laughs> wow <laughs> yo man yo you're in who 
detox. Right, true, Dre, Dre, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, Tech, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get us canceled, man. Like a lot of people don't talk about Lauren Hill's fans, but like, you know, like they're like they're more dangerous than the Beehive. Yeah, I mean, hey, I'm just being real, and and much love and respect to Lauren Hill. The album's good enough that I don't think anyone noticed that there isn't a second one. Hey, man, I can, I can, uh, I can say to all the Lauren Hill fans, I know personally. Be patient. That second album's coming. Hey. You heard it here on Global Brothers Podcast from the founder of allhiphop.com. It's coming, y'all. So, Greg, I was um I was asking you to uh kinda 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 touch on that story um of uh about uh, when you and Chuck, you know, your co-founder, like wanted wanted to expand the brand you guys put on this event and you know, uh, like had a certain budget and maybe kinda like cross the line. Oh, you're talking about the inked article. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, that that article painted, you know, a very narrow piece, you know, and I wasn't very press savvy to understand at the time that, you know, some of the things I was saying on the fly would end up, you know, in the article. But in any case, uh from say 2004 to like 2012, Every year, we held all hip hop week in New York City, and New York and uh, each one of those it started off as just something our community was doing in New York. They had a barbecue at a, a Prospect Park in Brooklyn. So from there, after that year, it was such a good turnout and everything was so cool. We decided, yo, why don't we do a whole week of events in New York centered around all the different elements of hip hop? So you know. You had a battle, you know, Ludacris hosted it with Sway. Uh, we had a fashion show, LL Cool J hosted, and all the rappers and celebrities walked on the runway. We had a reading book to kids that uh, Wyclef did, uh, an art show, um, a debate, and then like a underground hip-hop showcase. So every year we did seven of those, you know, Monday through Sunday. We would start on Monday and we would end on Sunday. And uh, the finale would always be a big concert. So we would always do the Nokia Theater or the Hammerstein. And uh, the party you're talking about was uh, one that Russell Simmons and Diddy hosted. And it was just a, you know, a celebrity party. But it was cool because everybody showed up from Cool Heart to Han Herbie Hancock. Uh, I mean, everybody was there. Hey, I got a question uh, for both of you to answer. So this is a... a both of you have to respond to this. This is just curiosity. Have you ever been met someone in the culture and got kind of fanned out? You might not have expressed it, but deep down, your wheels was churning. Like, wow, I can't believe I'm introduced or I'm in the same space or I'm talking to you. Oh, that happens to me all the time. Okay. Uh, still to this day. All right, I'll give you two. Um, one time, I, I, I performed for Bob Marley's mom. Right? All, right, so, all right, I'm out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gone. <laughs> but as, as Marlon knows, because Marlon used to be a, a part of this, in, in Delaware, Bob Marley used to live in our state of Delaware, and they right. do a, a tribute to him, People's Fest. It's been going on for 20 years. So while his mother was alive, rest in peace, she would come to the fest. So when my band got hot, we were booked for the fest, and we even had some Bob Marley songs in our set. And I'm thinking, look, man, like Bob Marley's mom is in the crowd. If we don't do these songs right, like 
you know, I'm thinking, let's not even sing any Bob Marley. Like, let's do, you know, but hey, this is our set. This is what we planned. So, you know, we do the show. I thought it went really well. Afterwards, the organizers of the fest are like, hey, there's somebody who wants to meet you. I'm like, okay, you know, they take me over to this tent. Listen, Bob Marley's mom had a presence like she had a force field around her. Because she's not only Bob Marley's mom, she's Ziggy Marley's grandmom. She's Kimani Marley. She's the head of all this talent. And when you walk near her, I never felt nothing like that in my life. It felt like she had this force field of power around her. Like she didn't have to even say a word. She didn't even say much to me. She said she liked it. Uh, we ate. They uh, brought us lunch. You know, I ate lunch underneath the tent with her, you know, watched a little bit of the fest. And, and, and that, that was it, man. But I've never met anybody with a presence like that, celebrity or not, a spiritual leader, anybody that I've ever met. She had the strongest presence of a human being I've ever met. And um, I would say, like me, I'm a super fan of DJ Quick. So when I got to meet DJ Quick in, um, in, in Texas, man, in South by Southwest, I was losing my mind. I was like, I cannot believe I'm si And we were just talking music and I'm, you know, telling him about the different songs I like. He's explaining to me, like, how he made certain songs. I was just like, man, this is so cool. Because you always think, like, you know, at, when you, a musician is a fan, too. So yeah. in your mind, you always think what it's going to be like when you meet somebody. And then if when it happens and it plays out like it did in your mind, you're like, wow, that's why I really like this person's music. But there have been times where I've met people in music. I'm not going to say no names. Like, Come on, man. <laughs> I mean, all right. Well, I don't look, have a... We're, we're, not a gossip, we're not a gossip show, but we'll take a little bit of... We'll take a little bit of... Uh, I never, like... I never really, me and Common never really blended well in situations. I mean, he probably wouldn't remember me, right? Like that. I've done shows with him before and been in events and just tried to keep it cordial. And for whatever reason, it might have been whatever was going on at that particular night because it's just, you know, different random nights. But we never really got into a conversation that was like engaging. And a couple times it was even awkward. But I ain't got nothing against me. He probably wouldn't know me if he fell over me, but it's just in our interactions. So sometimes when you're a fan, that can be a little disappointing because you know you, you want you know hey. you love their music. Yeah. Tech, uh, we had a, we had a, a two-time Emmy Award-winning uh, uh, director, producer, and director on uh, our last show uh, two shows ago. His name is uh, Ibe Alaquiva, and he does the Roots Picnic every year since like 2008. Okay, last 12 years. And he told us that Black Thought, like it was, it took him like years to warm up to him. Is that, I mean, I'm sure you've been around the roots, Thought. Is that what you get as well from some of these guys? Well, yeah, because you have to be guarded. I have to be guarded myself. I mean, sometimes people will come up to me and, and talk to me. They know me, but I don't know them. Yeah. That can be, that can make you feel vulnerable. Because someone's coming up to you, they're approaching you like they know you, they might be standing close to you, they just start talking to you, and you're looking at them trying to remember, do I really even know you? Do I, you, you know? And it can be like that. And I'm sure when you uh, put money in the mix and, and, and vast amounts of money in the mix, you have to be guarded. You can't just be everyone's friend, you know? Right. Yeah. So, I, I, like I said, I, would ne I never took it personal. It's not like I said, oh, you know, I got a beef with comedy. It just, that's how it happens sometimes. It also happens sometimes rappers you wouldn't think you would connect with 
you connect with and be, and you're like, man, and you like a rapper like that for me was Juvenile. When me and Juvenile met, we end up chilling for, I mean, it was just me, Juvenile. I mean, he left his whole entourage. We were just kicking it, like, you know, like somebody from your neighborhood. And then at times I had to stop and remember, like, it's our first time chilling, but it feels like, you know, I'm forever. And watching a Juvenile video and watching a Market Tech music video, you would never think that those two personalities would mesh. You know, it's funny. um, You guys, uh, when you talk about being guarded, um, I've been around a couple guys that are um, like, which quote unquote stars or influencers, whatever you want to call them. And um, some are like professional basketball players, but one is an actor. And um, he was actually on the show, the actor. But we were out one time and this dude took, me and him was talking, I think we were talking to a third party and some guy took a picture of us. And my boy kind of, he didn't really go off, but he checked the dude. Like, yo man, what you doing taking a picture of me? And me not being a star was thinking like, what's the problem with that? <clears throat> Meanwhile, we do know pictures can go anywhere. A meme. Oh uh, man, you can Photoshop them. I mean, oh man, Photoshop a chick in the picture and your wife divorce you. Like, I mean, it's, it sounds crazy, but I mean, I've had people, I've had haters try to post my address online, like all kinds of stuff, man. You know, you you got to wow. be guarded. You got to yeah. be. And, and people, people like me, or let's say like a, a, a regular or average person, don't know what you guys go through because I was looking at my, my friend who's an actor like he was tripping, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But he was totally in the right to check the dude. Like, do you just take, he asked him, he said, do you just take pictures of people without asking? I was like, I mean, oh. think, think about this. Imagine even if it wasn't a rap beef, imagine if someone was just jealous of you, you're an artist, Everywhere you're going to be is listed on your website. I'm at this club on Monday. I have this performance on Friday. I have this concert Saturday. Anyone can find where you're going to be eventually. So you have to wow. think about that, too, when you're a public figure or an artist. You know, you, you have to be a little guarded in that regards. Right. Hey, uh, hey Tech, so um, you've, st- you've started some, like, you know, like quite a few events. And, uh, you know, one that was near and dear to my heart that I remember that, like, you know, really, really, like, brought the community together. And, like, you know, you broke a couple stars, bro. Like, I know you know that already, but, like, you know, like, you're super humble. Um, but the Groove Lounge, you know what I mean? Tell, tell us, you know, tell us a bit about that. Well, how that happened was in Delaware, there's a, a culture where in the music entertainment space where a lot of the venues hire cover bands and bands. That was big. You wouldn't see a lot of hip hop in bars. So I was thinking what bar or a club would let hip hop in. So I had to go to the grimiest. The, the, I had to go to like the punk rock bar where like, you know what I mean? It's like the, the, the hole in the wall, hole in the wall. So they give us a night. And instead of making it all about myself, whereas I'm going to perform every week and build up, I reached out to every and any rapper. I didn't care if you were from downstate, upstate, and it became a place. And there was no violence because I'm talking about people who might have had lifelong beefs, neighborhoods that hated each other would be right in there. No one would think to fight because it would have ruined it for everybody. And that kind of built the Delaware hip hop scene to where like you can just do hip hop in Delaware if you wanted to, you know, or if you just wanted to be a rapper and and do just that, you could. It just opened up a lot of opportunities for people. And um, 
it, it helped the venue. You know, the venue ended up becoming a little profitable. They end up selling it. Now it's like more of an upscale place and they don't do hip hop there anymore. But that's how it got started. And I learned a great lesson in um, inclusivity. Like, you know, the if you can include people, it, it'll just grow. You'll, you know, you, you can get more done with others. So I learned a great lesson in ego with that, you know, by, by give, you give up a little to get more. I remember, I remember weekly, weekly, there'd be like a, like a freestyle battle on stage. And, um, uh, I remember one incident, like, like, uh, you know, there's one cat that we know, Swanee Rivers. Um, it, w- it was like a super heated battle and like, you know, pretty much whoever won that week would get some money and then they'd stay on for the next week. And I think he won like, how many times in the road did he win? A few weeks. And we used to just get the money from the, we'd just pull out a hat <laughs> and collect money from the crowd. And then people would be so amped up, you know, people be like, oh, I got 50 on that. I got 50 on that. Like in the moment, they would be so amped up, man. And you wouldn't know how much money was in the hat. And for a cat rapping, like, yo, for a cat rapping who's just battling on stage, who just walked into a place and didn't even know they're going to battle, and they leave with 100 bucks or even 50 bucks, man, you're going home like, I'm a rapper now. I'm a rapper now. And it, it, that 50 bucks is worth more to them than 50,000 bucks later. They'll, yeah. they'll remember that 50 bucks for the rest of their life, man. Hey, you, you know some of the realest stuff you made me think about just now? Wasn't there recently an award show where Drake, a, he, I guess he accepted an award, but he said, like, you're doing, you're on the right track or you're doing, you're doing well or whatever if one person comes to see you perform. Like, yes. if one person comes and pays to see you, then you've made it. I think he, he had some profound Absolutely. statement about Absolutely. that. If, if I can address that, and I know Grouchy probably has some thoughts on it, so you know I won't go on too long, but basically the whole myth that there's this music industry and some wall you have to get over, it's a lie. It's a myth. The music industry happened because back in the day, recording a song or an album wasn't feasible for a regular person. You know, you would have had to have a machine that makes acetate records and you have to have a reel to reel machine and all this crazy stuff. So that's what built a music industry like the go, you know, they, they, the go between. But now you don't have that. You just have people who want music and people who make music and you can deliver it right to them. Def Jam and them labels wish that they could have a four person staff, a two person staff. You know, they're trying to be, I think. They're trying to be like the independent guys, you know, working leaner. You know, it's not like the days when you would go into a record label and there's 500 employees in there, 200 employees, you know. So I, I think Drake is all the way right with that. If you got people listening to your music and if you have a song on YouTube with 100 plays, guaranteed some of those plays are from overseas, other countries. So, you know, I think people need to let go of the myth of, you know, you have to climb over some wall to make it. And if you're really happy doing music and it brings you enjoyment, you're successful because success is defined by the person. We're going to we're going to we're going to mix in. Um, we're going to keep moving. We're going to mix in some uh, some comments from uh, the chat. Thanks so much for being here, everybody in the chat. Appreciate y'all. Uh, we have one question for uh, Grouch um, that, uh, that uh, states um, with. Caucasians and others uh, pretty much being culture vultures and, um, you know, trying to steal certain things that we've created. Like, you know, how can we put a stop to it or at least um, mitigate the bleeding of like, you know, trademarks and copyright infringement and like all that other stuff? What's your opinion? Well, 
it's very deep rooted. It's not something that the artists are going to change uh, uh, by, you know, the artists uh, uh, are going to have to, you know, work in collective to make change because speaking to what Markitech said about, and I'm going to tie all this together, but speaking about what Markitech said about the music industry, uh, uh, the barrier to entry was that not everybody could do it at one point. And, you know, the music industry, the entire music industry was founded in 1890. That's the year that it was founded. And the first recording in history was done by two black groups, the Fisk Jubilee Singers and a gentleman by the name of George Johnson. And uh, I think it was Thomas Edison discovered him whistling on a ferry and he wanted to record him whistling because whistling was a tone that would end up good on acetates, whereas lower frequencies and frequencies that involve bass range, you know, they, they wouldn't even come about until the 60s. So, you know, uh, black people have been and African-Americans have been involved in the recording industry since the inception. The problem is the systemic racism. When they put out their records, they would draw the big lips or they wouldn't put them on the covers. Um, and that, uh, you know, has, that's a small example. You know, if you look at how African-Americans were referred to in, in media and print, you know, coons, darkies, niggers, you know, all of those things. And uh, it's very ingrained in the entire industry. You know, uh, these record labels that we're still dealing with today are the lineage of most of these companies. Um, and that's just the U.S. based ones. You know, you also have companies that are based out of Germany, uh, France, uh, Europe, where they own huge catalogs of black music from, say, the early 1900s all the way up until now. And it just sits on the shelf. Culturally, that has an impact on us and what the perception of African-Americans are in terms of their contribution to everything. You know, when you think of the film industry, you usually only start thinking about it in terms of the 1930s or 40s, you know, but there were black studios going all the way back to the 20s, you know, wow. so, so, you know, um, it is it, in terms of protecting the trademarks and all that, you know, it, it comes down to education because like Markitech said too, some people's business models are built off of that. You know, I've been dealing with that in my business now for 20 years. I'm dealing with it right up to this day where, you know, we're dealing with a partner that, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll keep it light because, you know, we're still working with them, but you know, uh, the need to protect your brand and own your brands is, has has never been more more critical and you know if you're a young person uh you know the first path you should start is the path of you know self-enlightenment and education and that means learning how record labels built reading biographies understanding mm -hmm. the industry you're getting into knowing what contracts mean and what's standard and not standard and these are all things i'll be quite honest with you that you can learn in a month if you're really serious about it, I mean, you know, when you have the passion to learn about something you and it's going to directly impact you, you retain it. You retain that information. And so when you do step out onto your own for the first time uh, 
at least you, you have a foundation to start with. Because if you don't know anything and you only go asking people for help, people are going to rob you. When people tell you that they're your family or that they're going to look out for you and help you develop generational wealth, all of those things should be red flags. You know, uh, you know, nothing moves but the contracts. And even then, learning how to decide who to do business with uh, uh, is important because we've entered into many agreements with people and made mistakes about character. You know, so you know, we do the agreement and it looks good on paper, but now you're in business with a bad partner you really don't want to work with. And that could, you know, be a two year process. So, you know, the culture vulture stuff though is super real. It's all valid. Um, and, you know, I think you see the rush to, from all of these companies to invest now in the African-American community and they're going to develop, do donate 50 million to this and 5 million to social justice causes is because they know that they've pillaged and you know they're trying to mitigate some of the blowback that is surely going to come and i tell you being a black owned company a certified minority business enterprise working in the ad industry that is 95% white male you know there's not even a lot of black females obviously not a lot of females in general and very little black males when you look at the percentage of workforce of some of these ad agencies and I always tell people, you know, these ad agencies are huge. You know, you think about Chrysler that has 100,000 workforce. Well, you know, WPP has 150,000 person workforce across the globe. So, you know, these are really big companies and these, these types of inequalities in the makeup of the company trickles down into everything from the advertisements you see and there not being enough minorities in them to uh, you know, what type of music is heard, to who, who gets the opportunity. So it's very deep-rooted, you know, and it's institutionalized. And I, I, I understand the concept of the word institutionalized, but that kind of makes it seem like it's institutionalized in a building where the building is made up of people. So right. yes, it's institutionalized, but it's institutionalized by the people that are in there. So the only answer I have is to try to stay as independent as you can, learn how to be an entrepreneur as, as fast as you can, understand it's not going to be easy and you probably will not get rich overnight, but Lord willing, you will. And, um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll be much healthier mentally. You know, it, it, it's very challenging when you put your, your eggs in one basket or, you know, you are relying on someone like a record label for your income. You know, um, those are things that have to be really thought out as a career path. And I always say, I'll, I'll, I'll stop at this, but, you know, it really comes down to, you know, understanding too, as a person, what you need to survive every month, what you need to live, what you want to have, what is your goal for financial revenues? And is that going to cost you $1,000 a month, $5,000 a month, $10,000 a month? And then you have to start trying to back into how you chop that down and get that coming in on a regular basis. You know, otherwise, as you can see with the pandemic, you know, relying on one stream of income, like say touring, gone. Yep. Yeah. Hey, yep. Um, I got a question and this is for both of you guys. Cause you have so much, you've been in the game so long and you have so much knowledge, man. I'm, I, I really like how you guys are sharing all of this. Cause it's, I'm hip hop, man. So this is this is one of the best shows for me. Um, do you guys get like Scrouch, this is for you. Do you get uh, 
like, do you consult? Do you, um, does anybody ask, ever ask you to be their mentor when they jump in the game? Um, I've consulted with everybody. DJ Vlad. DJ Vlad gave him the game. Uh, Q from Worldstar. I don't want to say I mentored him, but we were very cool, and I had no problem assisting Worldstar in their early, early inception. Uh, I've helped train the staff at Ebony, Uptown mm -hmm. Magazine, um, you know, um, all, all kinds of different brands. You know, I'm, I'm helping a company now called TheBluntness.com, which is a, uh, a new African-American-oriented uh, 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 cannabis website, lifestyle website. So I'm helping them with their staff and their strategy. I mean, I consult. I do a lot of that stuff. But I usually shy away from consulting people in favor of giving me equity in your company. Mm. You know, so um, we have a new app that I launched, KR38R, KR, the number three, the number eight, the number R. And uh, it's artificial intelligence. It's my first venture into music, artificial intelligence, and building products using artificial intelligence. And my business partners came to me with seven patents and an idea to launch a product for the hip-hop community. And uh, rather than consulting with them, I said, you know, let me on board all the way and I'll help you with the tech strategy and the getting people involved and using it and all that stuff. And, and so the long-winded answer to your question is, yes, I do all of those things. <laughs> hey, that's, that's real uh, human capital and intellectual property, man. It's, it's a smart way to do it. It's funny. It, it reminds me like the 50 cent story with Coca-Cola, right? Or vitamin water and Coca-Cola and all that how he just went from zero to 60 with the money because he got equity. Yep. When that deal happened, when that deal happened, 50s manager, God rest his soul, Chris Lighty, we yeah. had a tight relationship. And like I was saying, people would come to me with information before they went to any other press because of how fast it would be amplified. Oh, they came to me the day they did that deal. And they was like, yo, breaking news, 50 Coca-Cola got bought by vitamin water for four or 500 million, whatever, 50s cashing out. I was like, dang You know, they gave us quotes and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, that's exactly right. That's the way you have to think. And if you look at 50 now, I mean, he's got to be one of the most successful hip-hop executives ever. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, Tech, I want I want to I ask you the same thing, uh, but from an artist perspective, uh, in, terms of, in terms of that, that um, mentorship and... Uh, you know, consulting kind of thing. Cause I mean, like, not only are you an artist, but you're also a producer. So like, even in the studio, I'm sure like people that come like check you out, like, you know, looking over your shoulder, what you're doing. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I, I kind of take like a, like a, not, not like, I, I kind of take like a mafia approach when it comes to that. I look at it like the mafia. It's like a favor. You know, you come to me, Oh, you know, I, I'd rather, and plus, I'd rather empower someone so you don't keep coming back to me. So if you come to me and ask me to do something for you, and I do it for you, and you don't learn anything, you're going to come back to me the next time you need something done. So I would rather, you know, show someone how to make beats. You know what I mean? Like, maybe, maybe you don't have enough money. You don't have what I might charge for a beat. But maybe I can show you what to, what you need to get started, and, and you set up a studio in your house and you make a beat. So now, two years later, when you're a dope beat maker, and I come to you for a beat, you're gonna give me a beat. 
you're gonna always you, you're never gonna charge me full price you're always gonna if you know if i let you come be my opening act when you don't even have a song out and now you're number one i could be your opening act now sometimes people don't reciprocate that and that's when you know okay they're not they're not real i mean it's real simple so i really try to empower the people around me because if here's 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 an analogy here's an analogy during the COVID-19, people were going to the store. They're buying up all the hand sanitizer, okay? So now you got clean hands, but everyone's hands you shake are dirty because no one in the neighborhood can buy hand sanitizer but you. So you just ruined your whole intent. I love it. So that, that's kind of my analogy with that. You know, you, know, don't, if, you can't if hoard I, all the, the sanitizer, all the talent, all the knowledge. You can't hoard all that stuff. You understand if I, the whole if I could say something too, you know, from a unit economic standpoint, right? If you're running a recording studio and you bring in somebody for four hours who has no knowledge and is not willing to learn, more likely than not, they're going to blow their money and end up with a product that they don't even like. And then the next time they come back, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Whereas if you teach somebody when and they have a base level of knowledge when they come to the studio, they can work more efficient. Your billable hours are used better. Uh, you're not dealing with angry customer service. Those are all things that eat up into the, the time that you have, which is backed out of, you know, your, 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 I guess we call it your hourly rate or, you know, the amount of time that you have to actually devote to something that you're trying to monetize. So a lot of times, those types of issues of with of teaching people is because if you make them more efficient you end up making more money you end up making more having more time uh uh to to make their product better or uh uh you know to have more people to deal with because you're not wasting four hours on a dumbass who can't you know figure out how to get the microphones uh, or his vocals writer because he keeps messing up because he's nervous or something or she's nervous, you know. So it, it ends up coming down to um, passing knowledge along, you know, uh, uh, you know, ends up, it ends up uh, working in your benefit, especially if you're running a business. You know, the only time you're not sharing information with somebody if you're legit is because somebody's going to steal it from you or because you're trying to hoard it because you're selfish and greedy and worried that somebody else is going to outdo you. Otherwise, there's no need to never not share knowledge. It's not like you're the only person that owns this information. Everybody knows it. That that uh, that reminds me of um, when we interviewed Akon Heath. If you remember, uh, you know when we were talking to Akon, we asked him. Um, we asked him like you know someone like Lady Gaga, you know that he put on, and even like you know T Pain that he had on like his record label. Like you know, like what does he think about them blowing up after the fact, and does he still get something back from that? And like you know, like the short of it. You know, he didn't tell us like, you know, like the whole business behind everything, but the short of it was kind of similar to what you guys are saying. He just said that, you know, like I wanted to let them fly. You know, I mean that'll come back around. You know, I'm yeah. good. You know, he yeah, Joe, I need, like, Joe had yeah, you know, Joe had to do that with pun. Mm, right. Right. Fact, right. Joe had to do that with pun. He had to take the back seat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um he, if you mentioned earlier about 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 just like the knowledge possessed by these guys, like I said, like 
I'm not surprised. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not surprised. Like, I know it already. You know, that's why I'm having him on. And, like, I can't stop smiling right now because he's my boys. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's my man. Um, but I want to ask y'all, man, like, you know, like, when are, when are, like, when are some books coming out, man? You know, that's like, that's like, that's like the new currency right now in terms of audio books or just like, you know what I mean? Like, 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 some like knowledge from like all your experiences that you've been through. Well, okay. I do have a book. I do have a book out, um, but it, it it addresses more of race and society and things like that. It's really relevant for this time. It's it's available audio book um, format on YouTube. Uh, you could just look up your Heard TV and and you'll find it. It's called Becoming the Man. But um, I was thinking about doing a, a book basically about my experiences in music called Zero to Forty. You know, because I'm 40 years old, so zero to 40, and just breaking it down you know, five-year chapters of what I was doing musically, you know, and, and teaching people along the way the lessons that I learned. So something like that is coming, for me at least. And I would hope that Grouchy Greg writes a book someday. I will, oh. I'll, I'll be first in line to read that. It's, it, and, it, you know, both Chuck and I are working on something for all hip-hop, you know, talking to some publishers now. And uh, I definitely have my own concept for a book that I think will be very unique and it's 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 a, a, a you know going to dish, dish out a good dose of knowledge uh, along with you know some of my personal stories but you know um, I've, I've got a cool little angle to it but you know um, all of that is coming and mainly it's not even I'm not even thinking about money or you know it being a currency as much as I just you know want uh, people to know that I existed in the world. <laughs> Book is a hey, good way to do it. So I got a petty question. So since this is hip hop and since there's battles in competition, Grouch, have you ever been in a media battle or a beef? We're kind of in one right now. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, come on, no, keep going, keep going. <laughs> so Trump tweeted, retweeted this rapper called the Marine Rapper. And uh, one of our writers did a story on it. And in it, she referred to him as a coon. Mm. And uh, he got upset and he's been going hard, you know, since. And that's pretty much it. Okay. That's all I'll, I'll talk about well, with that. So he's mentioning all hip hop and everything. Yeah. Wow. How about like a? Uh, you, I know you you, you said you uh, advised and consulted with uh, World Star, but like you know TMZ, Vlad. Um, you know, I mean, you guys are titans, man. And, and so, has there ever been any type of situation with anybody? Uh, any of those no. others? No, no. In fact, when I ran in the queue, Lord, Lord rest his soul, God rest his yeah. soul. So, Shout out, yeah. I passing, maybe two years before his passing, we ran into each other and took some pictures that somebody has. And he was like, yo, thank you, you know, for opening up the door, the path. And he, was, he said, you guys are Michael Jordan and I'm LeBron James. And I said, bro, I can live with that. You know what I'm wow. saying? That's, 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 that's epic. You know, and everybody behind the scenes for years always tried to stoke that world star, all hip hop, you know, do you have a problem with Q? I mean, it came up in so many interviews, and I'm like, I have zero problems with this guy. We put him and Vlad on our site, 
you know, in the early days. You know, Vlad occupied a healthy region of all hip-hop in the early days, you know, and I've met with Vlad. Me and Vlad used to smoke uh, all the time on his rooftop and talk business. And, you know, whenever I went into New York, which was quite often, we would hang out and go to local spots and all that stuff. So there's, there's no problem. I don't have a problem with, with anybody, any brand, anybody trying to do anything. I'm just trying to take my brand as high and as far as it will go. If other people want to compete with us, that's fine. You know, but... I'm I'm not looking in my rearview mirror at any point. That's dope. Man. You know, if I if I can chime in, man, as as an artist, it's almost impossible to avoid a beef. If you're gonna <laughs> rap at some point. Because like rap is one of those things, it's almost like boxing where it's like, yo, you're like every rapper in the world is aiming at Drake's spot. Every single rapper in the world wants to be the biggest selling rapper. So think about that. You got 50 million rappers all gunning for your spot every day. And some don't even know they're gunning for your spot. You know, they're just trying, they just got a passion to rap, you know. But when you think of it that way, it's like sports. It's almost unavoidable. But nowadays, I mean, you would, you would have to do, do something or say something so super disrespectful for me to even think about mentioning you in my music or you know, that that's how I feel about that. But yeah, in entertainment, unless you're on the level like where Greg's at, you know, that behind the scenes level, anybody who's on a visible level of entertainment is gonna acquire some kind of beef or conflict. Mm -hmm. Hey, we got we got a we got a fun question here. Um, Greg, uh, what do you think about holograms of like deceased artists, you know what I mean, like Tupac and Biggie being used? It's gonna be a billion dollar industry. You know, we're just at the beginning of it. There's already companies that are making them that will fit right in your house, you know, and you can sit them right on your nightstand and, you know, that stuff exists now, you know. And so, you know, it, it's coming. Uh, hey, if you're somebody that owns intellectual property and you, you know, are creative and forward thinking, I mean, I don't have any problem with it. I, I think it's cool, you know. You can't be afraid of technology and trying to use it and explore it, you know, because uh, too often we're late to the table, you know. So uh, I think the hologram stuff is awesome, uh, except when, you know, they don't look like they're supposed to, like the Whitney Houston hologram. Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't see the Whitney Houston doing oh, Terrible. They got dragged. They got dragged. Ooh. Yeah. Where, was, where was it? What was it for? Yeah, it was a Whitney Houston hologram. No, but, um, um, like, was it, like, was it for an award show or, or like... Concerts, I don't know. Can't even remember at this point, and it was probably only last week. <laughs> hey, hey, so, 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 uh, so, I'm bridging on that. Like, you know, I don't even think the artist has to be deceased. You know, consider, consider, like, somebody that wants to be in more places than one, and like, right. people want to have like that upfront experience. Like, you know, this is going to become something that's ubiquitous to the to the industry, really. Yeah, I mean, you don't imagine if you don't even have to hire your background band; you just have a hologram band. You only have to pay them. <laughs> just be out there. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. I mean, there's a lot you could do with it. Well, they're going to start seeing more and more of those products coming down, virtual reality, holograms, all of that. I mean, this COVID-19 isn't going away, so we're going to be in the house for a little while longer. Yeah. So, you know, these products are, are coming. Um, and, you know, the, they will probably have a, a, a you know, consumer use 
you know, is now probably going to be really validated for a lot of these things now that everybody's sitting home. For all hip hop. Just gave me a great idea that I'm going to have to write down. Hey, man. Hey, 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 hey. Global Brothers Podcast wants 10% of anything you think of during our show. <laughs> anything. Right, right. No doubt. Hey, you didn't say that. You can say that at the disclaimer at the beginning, man. You just said. Right. Come on, man. You didn't see the fine print on the flyer? Right. Nah. right there we go. On the flyer. On the flyer. Hey, um. Uh, Greg, from you know, for all hip hop, uh, are you guys looking at an app format now? And like, um, what about augmented reality? Augmented reality, not yet. Uh, I mean, I've thought about these things, but nothing moving towards a product. An app is definitely in the works, long overdue and coming. Uh, but yes, yeah, yes to both. And uh, tech. I know, I know you're a, I know you're a fine artist as well. You know, you do your painting and your drawing. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right behind you, right, right, right behind us. See what you're doing. Um, and uh, uh, how, how do you see that visual artist play into your um, audio file personality? Hmm, interesting. Um, I would just say, like, kind of like. Um, just the creativity, like, um, just kind of like, how can I explain it? I guess uh, being a visual artist, you really let yourself go and you can lose track of time real easy and everything like that. When you're a recording artist, sometimes time is always an issue because you're at a recording studio and it's costing you by the hour. So what the visual art has taught me to do is to let loose in the music, you know, lose track of time, don't really be looking at the clock, you know, no, don't worry about how long it's going to take if the album's due next week, you know, like usually when you do a painting, you just get an idea, you get a feeling, you start it when you feel like it. Like, so for example, if you're going to do a painting and you have to go to work in a half hour, you're probably not going to do the painting because you're going to do it when you're most inspired and have the time to just do it. And I try to apply that to music. So, you know, unless I can sit down and do it, not even going to do it. Whereas before I used to, okay, I'm going to wake up at 10 in the morning, record till five in the afternoon, you know what I mean? And have it all mapped out. But now I just kind of do it when I feel it and I'm more productive that way. So instead of recording every day, maybe now I'm recording every three days, but I'm more productive. That, 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 uh, that I brought up something to me, like just as you was talking about that, um, of uh, how visual art, is uh, playing a bigger um, a bigger part in um, in music today, especially like you know hip hop and urban music. I mean, if we think about like you know Jay Z mentioning Basquiat every other uh, you know line, um, mm -hmm. you know before that, like I wouldn't really say that that like played such a big part. Um, how do you guys see that advancing in terms of that uh, crash course of worlds, uh, visual art and um, and our musical art? Um, I think that with the technologies that exist, it all becomes one. Like, so for example, uh, I don't know if you remember like in the 90s. I, I think the 90s was the first time in my life that I saw, besides certain acts like Run and and the Beastie Boys, the 90s was a time where it was okay to like Biggie and Nirvana. Yeah. And you could like Soundgarden and uh, 311. You know, you could like all the different things. And I think what that 
did, it blurred the lines of fashion and everything. So now it used to be if you were a skateboarder, you looked like a skateboarder. If you were a rapper, you looked like hip hop. If you rock, you look like rock. Now all the fashion blends. Everybody wants to wear a pair of Yeezys. Everybody wants to, you know, do this, have this device or that. So I think artistically we're seeing that happen too. Like my last album, I designed the album cover. I did the music. I set up the distribution. I think that's what you're going to see now. Like that blending of art where you go to an art show and it's all blended. It's audio, it's video, it's visual, it's digital. I think that's just how kids in general are coming up nowadays. They're, they're taking a little bit of everything from everywhere and putting it together to make new things. So I think in the conceptual era that we're in, that's what you have to do. It's not about inventing something from scratch and making a new process and making something that didn't exist. It's about taking pieces of things that already existed, putting them together in a new way to solve new problems. If you think about something like Facebook, um, Ustream had live streaming first, YouTube had videos, MySpace had the wall, uh, Craigslist had classifieds. They've literally just taken what everyone else does and put it in one place for you because it seems like the other companies were so focused on the one thing. Ustream is like, let's just keep focusing on streaming and how can we make it better? How can we make it faster? Meanwhile, Facebook's just like, let's just grab what's already there and put it together in a new way. So I think that's a good example of like the conceptual era. And I think that that overlapped in the art as well. Interesting. I got to skate after this next question. Sorry. Yeah, no, no worries, no worries. Um, so I guess, uh, I guess a good one for you then, Grouchy, is um, uh, what are your thoughts about the messages of um, hip-hop back in the day as opposed to hip-hop today? Well, if you talk about hip-hop today, as in today, you know, you see a lot of rappers with a message now. You know, Public Enemy just dropped a new joint. YG dropped the record. I mean, everybody is dropping, you know, protest records in, in light of the you know, the civil unrest here in the United States. Yeah. Uh, um, hip hop back in the day, I mean, you know, hip hop was founded on, you know, social activism, you know. Um, so there's, it, it's always been a political, you know, tool, you know. I mean, the message is one of the best hip hop records, if not the best hip hop record ever. And it came out, what, 82, you know, 83. So, you know, um, you know, my thoughts on it are it's, it's, it's in a good place now. You know, uh, it's the world's biggest genre of music. And, you know, now that it's that big in terms of audience attention, I think that you see the power that it really holds. You know, you look at anything that's happened over the past six months and, you know, hip hop has been really in the forefront. You know, George Floyd was a rapper with mm -hmm. Trey the Truth. And, you know, that helped put pressure in Houston. And Houston, and you know, they were in Minneapolis right at the front lines, you know, uh, you know, calling for action. And, you know, they haven't let up since. Um, so, you know, Killer Mike, T.I., you know, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people. So uh, I'm pretty happy with where hip hop is right now. You have a lot to choose from now if you want to listen to some drug rap and you know a 15 year old talking about how much sex he has you can listen to that all day 
And if you want to listen to something more mature, you know, you can go listen to Run the Jewels. Variety. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Diversity, yeah, variety, yeah. The if thing I, is, is you, you, you know, and I'll go with this one. Um, the, the job now is on the consumer. You know, there was a point where music was curated for you and handed to you, you know, before the internet and before Napster, you know. Then all of a sudden it became this vast library streaming that, you know, you really have to go through unless you rely on somebody curating a playlist for you. So, you know, you have to do some work, but all of the hip hop that you love or that you like or that you may think is missing, you know, there are artists there filling that void. You know, Griselda is a great example of, you know, guys that have stuck to boom bap and had immense success, you know, sticking to their guns. Uh, literally and figuratively. <laughs> Griselda, wow, those those guys remind me of um, Mop M O P. That's who they remind me of with the Buffalo version. But yeah, man, wow, they, they, they or, or or the Locks, true. Like no, no, not the Locks, not the Lock, the Warlocks. Ooh, ooh, that's who they remind yeah. me of. Like when they first yeah. came in the game. Oh, okay. The war before they got shiny. Hey. Hey, uh, 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 Greg. Mom, wow, wow. Oh, man. Hey, hey, man, hip-hop. I love it. Like, you know, pretty much they are hip-hop. Griselda's hip-hop. We're just trying to send that shout-out and let y'all understand that message. If you ain't heard of him yet, go listen to him. Um, Greg, before I let you go, brother, uh, the show is called Global Brothers Podcast. So please give us your insight on um, the global reach of hip-hop and uh, one of our particular um focuses is the continent is africa you know so like you know how do you like how do you feel that like you know hip-hop is like you know touching you know touching the continent and what could be that vice versa yeah it's huge you know um you know everybody here looks at it as an emerging market you know obviously hip-hop afrobeat you know those things have been around for decades uh but you know here in the u.s you know a lot of people are warming up, you know, uh, you see uh, Def Jam just launched uh, uh, Africa, uh, uh, an office in Africa, and they signed like 15 of the major acts, you know, from Nigeria to South Africa, and they've got two offices, one in Lagos and one in South Africa. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's in terms of the, the uh, 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 commoditization of it for the United States, you know, it's definitely coming. Um, and uh, I think it's great, you know, because hip hop is one of those languages where, you know, it's, it, it truly is a universal language. I mean, I quite often listen to rap in other languages, uh, you know, simply because the flow sounds good and, you know, uh, you know, the beat is something that, that I take to. But, um, you know, if you look at the streaming numbers on any of these platforms, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, you know, all of these things are being really being powered by hip hop artists. Takashi 69 was the most watched artist on Instagram. Before that, it was D nice with his quarantine stuff, you know, so um, hip hop has drawn a huge audience to to, you know, these platforms. That's what's up, man. Still- and that speaks to their global, you know, the global reach of all of these artists, you know. For sure. And what about what about you personally? Like, um, uh, 
because I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to insert myself into the narrative. You know what I mean? Let me know. I got you, bro. You know what I mean? Africa right here, you know, and I already got business over there. So let me know, bro. I got you. All right, man. We go so far back. I would trust you with my life. Gucci, man. Almost. <laughs> Almost. All the way up to that one last point. Right, 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 right. Now fall back. <laughs> fall backwards. <laughs> I definitely appreciate y'all having me. Well, conversation so good. I, I definitely could go on all day. You know? I know you could. I know you. I know you, man. Um, two more, you know, two more things, two more quick things. Uh, one, which I know you wanted to do. Tell us about your new album. Guns, Germs and Beats. It's a playoff of a book by, uh, I, what's his name? Uh, Jared Diamond. And it's called uh, Guns, Germs and Steel. And it's the history of how humanity has gotten to where they are, like all the migrations throughout history. Basically, the book ends by saying the reason why, you know, Europeans conquered the world is because they had guns, germs, and steel. So I figured during this pandemic, you know, it's guns, germs, and beats. Because, you know, you see uh, everything, all the civil unrest and everything, those are the guns. The COVID is the germs, and I'm dealing with it all by staying in the house making beats. So guns, germs, and beats. And uh, how is that being received? Like, you know, what's your like, like, you know, what's your what's your signature track on there? Oh, right now I have the music video Saturday night out. Um, I have that and a video called You Ain't Ready Yet produced by DJ Mech. And um, I mean, my fans are really loving it. I, I try to stick with music that's sincere to my heart. You know, like um, I don't follow a formula, but. I try to keep it real and keep it sincere. When I say keep it real, I, I don't mean in the sense of like, yeah, I'm keeping it real. I mean like keep it real, meaning it's not really contrived. So whether you like it or not, you're never going to listen to it and say, yeah, this is forced or contrived. Let us know how we can find out information about what Market Tech is doing. Give us, you know, give us your social media, your website, your spot. Yeah, yeah. I'm on, I'm on all the different social media platforms is Markitech. That's like architect with an M, Markitech, M-A-R-C-H-I-T-E-C-T. I'm on all streaming platforms and my group of 49ers as well. Um, we have an extensive catalog. Of, if you Google the 49ers, we have um, all our lyrics to all our releases available on the internet, which helps our international fans understand our music and our concepts. So it's all out there. And um, I definitely appreciate y'all for supporting and it's just like Markitech, Architect with an M. That's what's up, brother. Appreciate you, man. Yo, as we always say at this time, live global and prosper. Peace, y'all. Love y'all. Check us out on YouTube, Global Brothers Podcast. And please subscribe and share and, you know, continue to support, you know, good yeah. time. Tell everybody. Mr. Worldwide. <laughs>